This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Stocks trading sharply lower. The Fed chair, Jerome Powell, acknowledged the central bank is going to at least discuss speeding up its bond buying taper at its upcoming December meeting. Let's see what that's about. David Jones is here, chairman of DMJ Advisors. He's author of the book, Understanding Central Banking. Uh, David, uh, is this market drop here today? Is this because of what Jerome Powell is saying here about some changes being discussed? Definitely a big surprise from the Fed chairman today. Um, he said inflation is no longer transitory. We're going to retire that word. He said, remember how many times I think back to when you and I discussed that word transitory um, after the chairman mentioned it. Um, the Fed chairman said inflation is above target and intensifying and implied very strongly Something was shocked the markets that he was going to do something about it. As you noted a minute ago, uh, the Fed has been tapering their monthly securities purchases, uh, which started at $120 billion a month. Beginning in November, they've cut back by $15 billion per month in November and December. The big news was at the next policy meeting in December, the Fed may think about speeding up that tapering uh, maybe let's say to something like 25 billion per month, and that means they would end in April, and it could mean a rate increase much earlier next year than we all thought. Now, as you mentioned, you and I have talked about this term transitory for months now. Uh, does it seem like from the beginning that was a term that maybe shouldn't have been used? I mean, did did anyone really think that this inflation was just going to last for a few months? Once again, you hit the nail precisely on the head. The Fed chairman should never have used that word. Uh, it started to look dangerous from the very beginning, um, mainly because we've had these supply shortages. Uh, people didn't want to go back to work because they were fearful of the virus. And now we have this new uh, Omicron strain. And, uh, and we had supply chain problems and uh, demand stayed strong. So... Economics says that when demand is strong and supply is limited, we're going to get inflation. So therefore, the Fed German should never have mentioned the word transitory. So going forward, what can we expect? I mean, the, the Fed, uh, they have to step in and do something, and yet nothing they can do will have an immediate impact. That's very true, but the Fed has to show they're trying at least. And what it comes down to is uh, at first when, when the Fed chairman was talking about tapering those monthly securities purchases, the market said, well, maybe he'll taper his security purchases, but he's never going to raise rates next year. I think the market's up for a rude awakening. Uh, I'm looking for maybe three rate hikes from the Fed next year, starting in the spring. Earlier, we thought that at the earliest they would start in the summer of 2000. 
next year. Uh, but uh, I think we may be 2022, but I think we may be looking at rate increases starting in the spring and continuing at least in terms of three rate hikes next year. Thanks so much for all the insight. David Jones, chairman of DMJ Advisors, author of the book Understanding Central Banking. Numbers for Cyber Monday are in. Big changes coming to Dollar Tree stores. Let's talk about both of those stories. Jan Rogers Niffen is here, CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide. Uh, Jan, let's begin with Cyber Monday. Disappointing numbers uh, for, I guess, the first time it's actually dropped. Well, it depends on who you believe. One service said we were down 100 million. A different service said we were up a couple, couple of hundred million. But either way, it was flattish to last year. But remember, last year was a record, and last year holiday sales were a record. And we really didn't think that everybody was going to stay completely out of the stores this year, did we? So it's not too surprising that some of the business went back to the stores. However, from November 1st to now, Online sales are up 11.9% or 12%, 12.2, depending on who you believe. That's still pretty strong year over year in a year where online sales were fabulous last year. That's making me wonder, uh, you know, is Cyber Monday, I mean, is it even really a thing anymore with businesses putting these big deals online days before? A lot of people were online all weekend long. You know, I've been doing this a long time, a long time before there was even online selling, and we've had online selling for 20 years. And Black Friday and the Saturday after Black Friday and what we finally started calling Cyber Monday in 2005 are just not as important as they used to be. And they're probably never going to be again because we're stretching the holiday out. We can buy 24 hours a day, seven days a week online if we want to. And you can almost buy 24 hours a day, seven days a week in the store if you want to. So clearly it's not the important it's not as important as it was, but it's still important. I mean, it's a big selling season. And the fact that it got stretched out a little bit around that four-day period, it's still great. I mean, it looks like this year will clearly be the best year of growth in the last 20 years. Last year, holiday was up 8.2% in total, was up more than that online. And it looks like this year it'll be up at least 8.5% and maybe as much as 10.5%. And we've never had a year other than this year and last year, above 6%, except for 04 and 05, and they were six and change. So these are going to be fabulous selling years. They're going to be fabulous online. And the fact that it's not quite the growth it is some other days online because Cyber Monday is not as important is not very meaningful to the retailer. What's meaningful to the retailer is we're going to have the best growth year in the last 20 years at least in selling both online and offline combined, and we're going to have the most profitable year per dollar of sales at least in the last 15 years because we're not seeing any unplanned markdowns. This is one heck of a selling season so far. The consumer shows no resistance to price. They're really willing to spend. Growth is probably going to be double-digit for the selling period. It's pretty fabulous if you're a retailer. Let's talk about Dollar Tree. This had to be inevitable, right? Getting rid of everything a dollar? Well, I've been kind of laughing about that. I mean, did we really think we could keep selling everything for a dollar forever when inflation runs 2 or 3% and this year is probably running 6.5%? 
No, we didn't think that. So now we're going to have to be the buck and a quarter store. And we were all really worried about that. What would the consumer say? How would it go? Would, would there be a big negative reaction? And guess what? The consumer said, yeah, I'm not so surprised. Exactly. They were just waiting for it, expecting it was going to happen. Thanks for the insight, Jan Rogers Niffen, CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide. Making sense of your dollars. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The huge holiday gift spending of Cyber Monday, followed by a more benevolent event, Giving Tuesday. Let's learn now. You can be sure you're getting the most bang for your charitable buck. Michael Thatcher, CEO of CharityNavigator.org. Uh, Michael, I mean, the, my email box, I'm sure everyone's just slammed with requests. Uh, how in the world do we sort through and know who we should be giving our money to? Oh, I think, uh, well, first of all, I think the best thing you can do is be proactive in your giving. So, yes, the world's coming after you saying give to us. But think about where, what do you really care about? And where do you want to give based on, you know, what really grabs you? So, cause has got to, got to grab you by the heart. And then after you know what you care about, figure out what's a good organization that's really doing something about it. And do a little bit of research. And uh, some of that research obviously can be done on your website, Charity Navigator. W what should people be looking for if they want to know that they're giving to a good charity? I think you want to know that the organization, first of all, you want to know it's a real charity, right? So you've got you to watch out for scams. You want to be sure that you're giving to a legitimate 501c3 nonprofit organization. We've got a list of about 1.7 million on, on our website. And then we help you actually figure out, all right, are they financially sound? Will they be here for the long run? You want to know that they're making an impact in the world. And so look for results that they're actually obtaining through the programs that they have. Those are a couple of things that I'd start with. A lot of people thinking about uh, crypto, believe it or not. There's people who have made money in crypto. They want to give it in crypto. Are you seeing more and more charities that are accepting crypto for donations? There's definitely an uptick in crypto. So, for example, Terry Navigator, we're also a charity ourselves. We've been accepting crypto for a couple of years. That said, I don't, we don't have a lot to show for it yet. But given the way the currencies have actually moved in the markets today, I think we're going to see a lot more crypto giving. You're also seeing organizations like the Giving Block that set up funds that are only, they only accept crypto, which is kind of a neat way of doing things. And that's, I mean, potentially, I mean, you, you give away crypto, those people, I mean, they can hold on to it and, and you don't know where it'll go. You don't know just exactly what kind of a donation that'll be. It could be huge. It, exactly. Exactly. In other words, the, right now, depending on what you have in cryptocurrencies, it's also if you give to a charity with it, you're, you're able to offset capital gains by doing that and making a donation that way. So that's, that is one of the advantages to giving cryptocurrency if you have it. Thanks so much. Good insight from Michael Thatcher. He's CEO of CharityNavigator.org on this Giving Tuesday. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Markets sinking. The Dow down 576. The Nasdaq down 258. And the S&P down 74 points. Let's see what's going on. Art Hogan is here. Chief Market Strategist at National Securities based in New York. Art, what do you make of this downturn on the markets today? Yeah, interesting market action over the last three days. You know, obviously Friday we got some bad news on a holiday shortened uh, trading day with really low volume. So uh, no liquidity really kicked up the selling pressure. Yesterday was a bit of sigh of relief 
Uh, one, our assumptions were a couple things that, that um, we you know, had heard about a new variant uh, in this COVID pandemic. And we had heard that while it's more transmissible, some of the symptoms seem to be more mild. Today, the new information that sort of has investors confused a bit is a couple of the uh, um, vaccine companies, Moderna and Pfizer, are talking about uh, trying to figure out whether or not the current vaccine modulation is going to be effective for the new variant. And that's not something they'll know for a couple of weeks. They have to do some testing and, and to see what that, uh, how that comes out. So the, the attitudes around this new variant shifted for investors, making the assumption that it's clearly going to have some sort of an impact on economic activity. At the very same time, up on Capitol Hill, uh, the, uh, the Fed Chairman Jay Powell uh, reiterated the fact that they're going to stick to their knitting and continue with their tampering plan, and they might even accelerate that if, in fact, they need to. And he pointed out the fact that this new variant, if it has an impact on inflation, might be to increase it, not decrease it. And I think that largely comes from the concern that if this gets larger than we anticipate and economic activity is slowed, then it'll come from the supply side where we'll continue to have supply disruptions. Um, and, and so all of that is coalescing around investors' concerns today. So you've got a Fed that sounds more hawkish when the assumption with a new variant that he would be uh, more dovish, very much like he was uh, when the last variant, the Delta variant showed up in February, the, the Fed got more dovish around monetary policy. There's a bit of a shift uh, in Fed policy, uh, or at least the way we're looking at it right now, and a lot of questions that need to be answered about this new variant and, and what some of our vaccines and therapeutics can do to protect us. I mean, talking to investors here who are are thinking, man, you know, we got a, a pretty decent earnings season, even pretty good forward guidance, and yet all it takes is one little variant. We don't even know whether it's bad or not, and it's enough to send markets uh, in a downturn. Now, we've had two bad days here. Yesterday was a little bit of a rebound, but Friday and today are both bad. Uh, what do you say to investors as to how to move forward over the next few months, given that this could happen again? Sure. Yeah. Well, I would tell you this. I think you want to go back and look at how markets reacted um, to the last variant, uh, the Delta variant, which was more transmissible, uh, but less deadly. And, 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 and if that's the template that looks like we're going to have for this particular variant, then I think we'll, we'll see the similar market action. What did we see last February? Travel and leisure took a hit and didn't recover for about two or three months. That makes sense. You make the assumption that people get more cautious and want to travel less. As a matter of fact, we likely can't travel internationally again for a bit of time. But the, 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 the news that you really want to lean into is that the market overall didn't get hit. And those names that helped us sort of live in the hybrid world of working from home and going to the office a bit did very well. And, and those are some of the names that are holding up better right now. So it's the large cap growth technology names. Apple's one of the few names that's up on the day, but it certainly has done well. And I would continue to lean into that. But I'd also tell you that one of the things you want to remember is that any of the forecasts we have for 22 have already baked in waves of, you know, new waves of COVID and, and, and new waves of hospitalizations and case discovery and certainly new variants. This is going to be something that is with us for a while. But we have gotten much better and learned a whole lot more over the last couple of years and understand that we've developed uh, vaccines and therapeutics at lightning speed and we can improve upon those at the same pace such that we're going to get on top of this. So this is not March of 2020. This is more February of 21 in terms of market reactions. And I think that's the way you want to think about it. Is this, uh, when you have a bad Friday and, and now another bad day today, uh, is this an opportunity to go looking for bargains? Well, I know we are, and most of our uh, associates here uh, have been that today. You know, let's look out there at those names that we haven't had a chance to catch up to 
And we're seeing a lot of semiconductor names that are pulling back pretty significantly today. And that's one space that has always been hard to get in front of. So we're looking at some of the semiconductors, some of the software names, but we're certainly not going to look at any of the long duration technology trades. And by that, I mean, Stocks that have rapid revenue growth, but have yet to uh, start to earn money, right? So that it's it's the revenue growers that are that are weighed or or measured by a multiple of their sales versus a multiple of their earnings. We're still going to avoid that because we assume the Fed has told us that interest rates are going higher in 22. We'd rather be in technology and growth, but we want that growth to be measured in price to earnings. Thanks so much. Good advice, Art Hogan, Chief Market Strategist at National Securities. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's Travel Tuesday on the Noon Business Hour. The emergence of a new strain of COVID causing governments to renew some travel restrictions that were put in place earlier in the pandemic. We welcome Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services, Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul. Uh, kind of whiplash here, Joe. I mean, you have things really rough, especially for the airlines, and then they start bouncing back, and now you have a new variant here. What, what can they do, and what does it look like the public is doing? Yeah, whiplash is the right word that we're seeing uh, yesterday. Really, some some good news come out from the health uh, authorities that the variant maybe isn't as you know as, as deadly as, as first thought. At the same time, the market is very nervous. We're seeing airlines uh, uh, saying that this is really a critical period for those holiday bookings coming up, and people are scared off, especially with international flights. So there's a lot of uh, consternation among, particularly international airlines in Europe. Uh, about what the uh, what the latest news means. Now, have we seen been dealing with this pandemic here almost two years? Have we seen uh, COVID outbreaks on planes, or or have those been fairly safe spaces? I'm thinking the air circulated. You got masks. What what have we seen there? Yeah, that's right. The airline industry has proven pretty uh, resilient, a fairly safe place uh, with respect to uh, transmission of the virus. And that's been good news, that people aren't uh, uh, voicing concern about being on the airplane itself. And people are vaccinated. Uh, the surveys show they're mostly concerned about the unpredictability of travel uh, when they go, you know, with those vaccinations and even the booster, than they are about catching the virus itself. And I think that's what uh, we're seeing here is everybody has a story of a friend who's been stuck in a hotel room for eight days and they're worried about pressing click on that travelocity reservation thinking that they may uh their trip may be interrupted by this latest news well and how do they know if for some reason they can't travel how do they know what their airline is going to do whether they're going to be able to rebook or get charged a fee or or you know whether they can do anything yeah, that's right. I think uh, the uh, travel companies did learn in the first uh, wave of the virus that they need to be flexible when these things occur. So I think they've rebuilt the trust uh, of consumers a bit that if you book and there's a, a travel uh, restriction that you can cancel and reuse those funds elsewhere. But nonetheless, you know, these trips are expensive and people uh, uh, were just getting confident, particularly going to Europe. Uh, the Caribbean and even some of the uh, more developed Asian destinations. And uh, that's no doubt people have put that on pause. Now, I do think we're going to have some, some more good news come out in the next few days about, you know, the severity of this virus isn't as bad as we first thought. 
but the headlines certainly uh, will continue. So I'm um, thinking about the, uh, you know, you talk about consumers who are maybe concerned and that's causing problems for airlines. But uh, the shutdowns, the fact that you have many nations saying, hey, we don't want anyone here from Southern Africa, none of those flights, that has to hit the airlines, too. That does. And certainly the uh, the South African uh, country uh, and, and states around that certainly are going to be uh, a whole different category here because of the uh, the rapid spread of this. I think, though, in Europe, we're seeing uh, uh, some rollbacks. I mean, the German holiday markets are, uh, have been canceled. There's lockdown protests in some countries. Uh, there's a you know, a politicization to COVID as well, we're seeing, which uh, can create unpredictable uh, policies here. Uh, but as of now, we haven't seen uh, anything major about U.S. travelers going abroad, you know, having to have new uh, new quarantine requirements and so forth. Uh, and that certainly is good news. Thanks so much, Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services, Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul. Contrarian investing is an investment style in which investors intentionally go against the prevailing market trends by selling when others are buying and buying when others are selling. Joining us with a contrarian take on financial markets, Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com. So Mark is a contrarian looking at a market like today and thinking, hey, maybe there's some deals out there. Maybe I need to be a buyer. Well, yes, I, I think that is the inclination of a contrarian, although what I would say is that it's probably too early to uh, step up to the plate. We have seen in recent weeks some of the most bullish readings we've seen. I say bullish, I mean the most bullishness among the advisors we track. We've seen more of it than uh, we've seen in almost any other time over the last couple decades. So we still have a lot of bullish exuberance to work off. Only when we get to the point where we see as extreme bearishness or pessimism among those market timers, as we previously saw that extreme bullishness, only when we see that extreme bearishness would I say that a contrarian probably ought to step up to the plate. So we're getting close today. Like a day like today will clearly push many more of those uh, erstwhile bulls into the bearish camp. And uh, but uh, as of now, I'd say it's still a little early. So help us to understand when uh, obviously we can't time the market perfectly, but help us to understand uh, when we're at least closer right about that time to get in as a contrarian. Well, yeah, there are a number of different ways, and my general recommendation is to pick a, a, any indicator that uh, reflects market mood or sentiment. I construct one. I can talk about it in a minute, but there, I'm not the only one that uh, constructs these indices. But you need some sort of objective measure of what sentiment is, because otherwise it can just feel like the mood is in a particular way, but you don't have any uh, objective way of measuring it. So what we do is measure the uh, the exposure levels of the uh, of about a hundred different stock market timers, and so what we can tell you is, regardless of what they might say, and regardless of how we might feel, we can tell you exactly what the market timers are telling their clients. And right now, they're about in the middle part of the range. They, as I was mentioning earlier in this uh, piece, they were extremely bullish uh, as recently as maybe ten days to two weeks ago. Um, we're now back into the middle of that distribution, but we're nowhere over to the other side of the pendulum swing that would suggest that they have that extreme pessimism and despair that contrarians use as a buying signal. And does it take a, a special amount of, I, I don't know, patience, courage, uh, maybe a lack of anxiety in order to be a contrarian? Because, you know, when you see all this red, most people run for it. 
Well, that's exactly right. I would emphasize the courage that you mentioned there in your question. It turns out that the, the, the last thing that you want to do emotionally is be a contrarian. There's a famous saying on Wall Street that goes way back to Baron Rothschild several centuries ago where he said the time to buy is when the blood is running in the streets. And, of course, that's the last thing you want to do. I mean, today, of course, looks like child's play compared to blood running in the streets. But that's when he said that's when you need to step up to buy. And the reason that contrarians do well in the market is that they have very little competition. They're not having to compete with anyone else when they do it because there are very few people who truly are contrarian. Thanks so much. That's Mark Hulbert. He's an investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.